0: For details on the program, visit Eckfeldt.com slash thrive. That's E-C-K-F-E-L-D-T dot com slash thrive.
2: Welcome, everyone. This is Thinking Outside the Bud. I'm Bruce Eckfeldt. I'm your host. And our guest today is Lamar Houston. He is COO and co-founder at Easy Vending, We're going to talk to him about the work that they're doing in cannabis. We're going to learn a little bit more about Amar and his history in the NFL and getting into cannabis and becoming an entrepreneur. I'm always fascinated by people that have made career changes and what they bring forward to their experiences and to the new business. Uh, So we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about really kind of the future, I think, of the whole retail experience and what they're doing with easy vending and, and really kind of tackling, I think, a really interesting aspect of this. Um, and we're going to learn more about that and, and dig into it. But I'm excited for the conversation. With that, Lamar, welcome to the program.
3: Thank you, Bruce. I'm glad to uh, be on here. And I'm excited you guys invited me.
2: Yeah. Well, it's a pleasure to have you on. Before we kind of get into easy vending and, and the work you're doing with kind of the retail side of cannabis, give us a little of the backstory. So, I mean, for, for those that you know follow football, um, you know, you were in the NFL for many years. Uh, you know, Obviously, there's, there's a lot of learning there. There's a lot, I'm sure, that you've taken having been a professional athlete turning into an entrepreneur. But I'd love to hear kind of the story of how that transformation happened, uh, why that happened, and, and what you've kind of learned from the process.
3: Yeah. Well, I played I play in the NFL for about eight years. I did four years with the Raiders and five, four years with the Bears. I retired recently in 2020. And uh, I've always wanted to, I've always had aspirations of continuing. To build myself in a growth aspect. And I've kind of always been involved in venture capital and angel investing. Sure. While I was in the NFL, I uh, took several boot camps. That they call them. Basically, it's your traditional certificate course at a business school, but they they put it in three days instead of like a week or something. Okay. And so I did I did a boot camp at uh, Notre Dame for personal finance, uh, Notre Dame School of Business, Miami University School of Business for finance, uh, Stanford. They had a small business course there, which was really awesome. I got to meet the creator of the TRX and oh, wow. Joe Peterson of JetBlue. Yeah, I also did the Michigan's business school of uh, Roth, where I learned yep. about franchising and heard Jamal Lewis talk about his personal experience with franchising and, and um, you know, how it turned out. So I kind of had uh, jumped into a world while I was playing of considering what I wanted to do next. I didn't quite have it down. And while I was taking those boot camps, I actually t- I actually uh, befriended a mentor who uh, who was has been a blessing to my life and a a uh, great mentor to me. His name is Richard Pivnaka. He is the ambassador of the Czech Republic. He's on the band he's on the board for the bands of angels in San Francisco. Oh interesting. And he's also on the board of the Angel Investment Group for Notre Dame alumni. So he kind of, while I was playing, he kind of sent me a few things over the years and he would want me to explain to him why this product works or why a product doesn't work. Uh-huh. At the time, I really had no idea what I was doing. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, he, he I would give him like short answers and he would email me back and be like, no, like, I want you to really... <laughs> you know, yeah. go in depth about this product and, and explain it to me in length why. And so I was like, God, what is this guy's problem? <laughs> 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 I'm like, what do you want from me right now? Uh <laughs> in, in long story sh- yeah, long story <laughs> short, um he was kind of grooming me to to get into angel investing and, and venture capital. Uh you know, over the seven years, seven year period, he sh- he shared several uh, businesses with me. He's 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 shared several experiences with me, and and that was a blessing in my life. So when I retired, I was like, I want to do something. I'm obviously not trying to break my back anymore yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> with, with hardcore labor. So i want to do something where i'm active and it's it's competitive and it involves a lot so you know i turned to venture capital uh-huh. uh i started an angel investing group with my old teammate des bryant not the wide okay. receiver <laughs> i have to say that every time yep. <laughs> uh, we've been friends uh since 2010 uh, we played with the Raiders. We played on the Raiders together. We were both blessed to to have great, phenomenal careers. And and uh, Dez went to Harvard. I don't know a lot of people don't know that, but he's a really smart guy. He's, he's really sharp. So I didn't know that.
2: Yeah, interesting.
3: Yeah, he went to Harvard. He's he was actually a, a undrafted player. So he's got a tremendous story himself. We get together. We actually attend this venture boot camp at DraftKings. DraftKings hosts their host their first venture boot camp and we're both there in Boston we're enjoying ourselves learning the capabilities of venture capital investing angel investing and some of the nuances around it but we didn't like how it was presented okay so we wanted something that was real that was pure and it was for the players so we started our own angel investing group where we teach players about venture capital and how to leverage their brand. Um, yeah. Not necessarily use us to get into deals, but use themselves as a bargaining chip to get into cap tables that most people can't get into. And so with that aspect, we you know began investing in a few companies. Uh, we were we were going to put on our first. Uh, seminar in in 2020 around April but obviously we all know you know what happened with that but um yeah so we we haven't been able to do the education piece because of the Rona yet so yeah when that kind of halted us I was just kind of dipping my toe into easy vending that was January 2020 Okay. I started uh, kicking the idea around with my co-founder and you know she had did some research and said that, you know, vending machines, normal snack vending machines make about 300,000 a year. If you have if you have about 10 or so. So okay. I was like, wow, that's <laughs> that's, that's good money. <laughs> right, that's pretty that's pretty good passive income. Huh? And so I was thinking like why are there no cannabis vending machines? And yeah. then so we started doing a bunch of research and we've seen that, you know, Grasshopper had came out and failed and there were a few other companies that were trying to get the ball going and, you know, nothing's really actually took traction in the market. So we said, hey, let's put our own machine on the market. Yeah, We started, you know, researching manufacturers. We found a manufacturer, uh, really weren't pleased with them. And as in any case with business, there's going to be things that happen. And, you know, that was one of our hurdles. So we had to find a new manufacturer.
2: And what was the problem? I mean, I mean, you said it didn't like, was this a, a product issue? Was this a relationship issue? It was technology? a product issue. Product it just, issue.
3: You know, it, and to be fair, it was a product issue and the fact that we needed to create our own IP yeah. in order to be like a real startup. So all, all things on the table we, we were going to have to leave regardless. Yeah. So yeah. it was better that it was sooner than later. Mm-hmm. Uh, so then in turn, we also created our own software. Yeah. So we create our own software platform. We created our own age verification technology, and we're coming out with our own machine.
2: Okay. Yes, yeah, so that's a lot for a startup to have to invest in hardware (laughs) and software, develop a lot of this technology, there's a lot of moving pieces there.
3: It's tough, yeah, it's tough. And as a startup, we're obviously running really lean. You know, we're pre-revenue, but uh, I think uh, we created a great UX, UI experience for customers who like age-restricted products. So we're not technically a cannabis company, but cannabis is one of the industries that that has a lot of good use case for our products. So we do do, you know, canned wines or anything that you can imagine that is age-restricted. Yeah. So, you know, be that cigarettes, COVID tests, anything you can think of. Yeah. And how? Like,
2: who's the customer? Like, as, as you were kind of looking at this landscape and figuring out what your kind of you know what problem you were going to solve you know with with the technology who were you really focused on in terms of a core customer for this
3: we are it's a two-edged sword so we created an experience that is for the actual consumer who purchases from the machine but our product is actually developed for b2b sales yeah so in the end we're affected by the b2c action and interaction but we are selling to B two B,
2: got it. So you're selling. You're selling to the people that are currently selling these products, and you're just giving them a different mode, a different tool to correct to conduct that transaction with.
3: Correct. We are giving them a a piece of technology that can enhance their sales through tech, you know, through customer flow and operation.
2: So I'm curious. I mean, obviously, you're dealing with this kind of age restricted side of the actual, you know, making sure that the transaction is conducted by someone who is. Authorized, legally able to kind of make the transaction. But it seems like there's a lot of other pieces to this, particularly on the cannabis side, you know, in terms of the inventory and tracking things. And, uh, you know, how give us kind of a, a rundown of kind of the challenges or the things that you've had to figure out, you know, in, in providing a self service vending solution for
3: the cannabis industry. Well, I mean, it's. There's a lot of hurdles, uh, <laughs> you know. It's interesting because cannabis is is a really reg heavy, and uh, oh, yeah. you know I, I say reg meaning regulations. But it's it's interesting because some states one of those regulations is cannabis out of a vending machine, <laughs> yeah, and it's it's crazy because it's like I think the misconception of vending machine is. Is not it's represented wrong, so yeah. you know people are thinking this clear snack vending mm-hmm. machine that kids could even come and put some money in and get some yeah. cannabis from. Yeah. So, with that being said, we've built a customer flow process that's compliant, so you know who's exactly checking into the machine and what mm-hmm. exactly they're purchasing. So we developed technologies around both of these processes. And, you know, that's a part of what differentiates us from our competitors is that we have an onboarding process that's less than 30 seconds. It truly doesn't need any human assistance, but obviously it's better to educate early adopters as a part of our product introduction. But you could truly come up and and sign up and use the machine on your own. Everybody now is aware of how to use QR codes. Yep. So we've implement that, we implemented that in our software where you use a QR code to sign up. You Got sign up at home. Then you come to the machine, confirm your biometrics, and you're in. We've dealt with the issue of being able to track products per purchase. So cannabis dispensaries in different locations have... Requirements is that each product that's purchased has to have a sticker affixed to it. Yep. Most, well, all vending machines. There's no way for people to track actually like what comes out the machine. So we created a process that can tell, say, okay, Bruce came in and checked out mm-hmm. X product. And we know that that exact product went to exactly you. So Got it. we've created some processes Around the vending experience that makes it compliant for the regulations part. But we also created some processes around the customer flow that makes it a great user experience when they're purchasing out of the vending machine.
2: We're going to take a quick break to hear some words from our sponsors. And now back to our program. Yeah, it seems like there's a couple of big categories of challenges here. uh, And I'm curious which has been harder. So I think I see the kind of the software, the user experience side. Like, how do I? How do I manage the customer experience, of the transactions, the the hardware, you know, the actual machine itself and the technology of actually being able to dispense this stuff in the way that it needs to get dispensed? And then there's all the kind of regulation, you know, reporting, integrating with all these different systems to kind of have the right data and make sure that things are compliant within the stateless. Like out of those three categories, which has been the, the most challenging
3: from a business point of view? The one you, you haven't mentioned, banking. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. This banking has been a real issue. I don't know if you've ever purchased anything out of out of the other competitors' machines anywhere, but if you purchase, you notice that you have to pay in cash, yeah. and that's because it's really hard to get a POS system or payment processing that is legit for vending machines, especially. So obviously we've. Done a lot of work, and we've really, really dug, dug, and dug, and we actually found a great, a great solution to where our machines are cashless. So we're a cashless, interesting, COVID-friendly contact vending machine, and all other vending machines, all of our competitors are cash-only.
2: Yeah, and which is, I mean, not only. You know, unfortunate for the customer, but then creates a huge liability for the company. Have you got these machines sitting around with, you know, thousands of dollars in cash sitting in them? yeah, you know? Correct. And so how, I mean, I guess what, and, and I guess what's your take on how this is going to play out, right? I mean, there's all sorts of legislation, you know, trying to change the banking laws and making, you know, the Safe Banking Act and stuff for, for enabling this stuff. Is that is this, I mean, it almost feels like you don't want to have those things pass <laughs> because you kind of have this advantage of being able to be, you know, cashless and everyone else is stuck at the cash, but it gives you an advantage. The moment that changes, you know, they're going to figure out how to go, you know, cashless as well. I mean, what's, what's your take on this?
3: I think it's fine. You know, I just think we're, we'll be, it'll take them a while even after the ball changes to, yeah. to get things going, but I think we'll be fine. It does give us an edge on our competitors. A lot of the stuff we do actually gives us a lot of edge on our competitors. So if they were able to go cashless, it would just be a super small part of what we do, but a very a very important um, yeah. aspect of the of the customer flow. But it wouldn't really it wouldn't really bother us.
2: <laughs> yeah, you're, you've got enough other advantage.
3: Yeah, it is it is something that is a is a is a problem for everybody in the industry though. Um, so you know, I, I feel for our competitors when it comes to the banking situation because there's there's so much issues with. You know, having to charge people extra money and, Mm -hmm. you know, you're buying two joints that are $25 a piece, and then you're paying an extra, extra five bucks. Yeah, transaction cost. Yeah. And it's not fair to the consumer. And, you know, when we built our process, we really, really kept the user in mind with everything that we did. We, we wanted to center the experience around the user coming into the store knowing what they want, purchasing what they want conveniently and expressly being out of the store. But also the other part of of what we develop is the ability for the customer to basically leverage their brand within that store through our machines. So we created a store within a store experience for the for the actual B2B client and we centered the UX around the actual users who are purchasing the cannabis. And that kind of gave us a really good mesh of, of customer flow with the interface for the B2B client as well as the experience for the cannabis user so interesting
2: so I'm curious so, so you're selling to you're essentially selling to a dispensary right because they, they're the ones correct. that are licensed to sell so you're giving them this tool to be able to have a different kind of transaction mode but they're loading they're deciding what products are going into the into the vending machine and they're kind of loading it up and, and deciding this but how do the brands? I guess it's interesting because on one hand, you're kind of providing a a brand experience. On the one hand, you're kind of facilitating the dispensary. I mean, I guess how, I guess, talk us through how you sell this to a dispensary and how they end up using it and, and why they use it and what products they put in there. Are they putting all their products? Are they just putting some products? How does it really end up playing out from a dispensary point of view?
3: So basically, you know, there's always those shoppers that come in and they're getting the joint and they're getting the nugget. (laughs) You know, rarely, rarely do consumers who actually visit dispensaries buy in bulk. It's more small, frequent purchases, day-to-day purchases, week-to-week purchases, but they frequently come in and they purchase these small amounts of of cannabis. So with that being said, we built the experience based on consumers who are frequent shoppers, know what they want. They're not there to spend 45 minutes to an hour and a half in line waiting to talk to a bud tender. They are just wasting their time. In our experience, we've also carved out new users. So we're, we're, our user experience with the interface, you're able to ask questions to the machine that can point you in a better direction. How do you want to feel? Do you want to feel happy? Do you want to feel aroused? Do you want to feel, you know, hungry? Do you want to feel sleepy? Picking things will help you get the product of your choice. And so the dispensaries can just put whatever that is frequently most purchased at their shop that will save them time for their bud tenders and their consumers at, at, alike and be able to. Put more inventory out in an express manner, whether that be separating med patients from rec patients, rather that be it's just a edible machine, rather be just a joint machine or a flower machine. They're able to take that most frequently purchased product, express express sell it out, so their consumers are coming in and purchasing in thirty seconds or less, and that's the advantage to the dispensaries. I mean, I wish. You know, I could purchase something in 30 se- seconds or less from a bud tender, but it's just not possible. <laughs> it's just not it's just yeah. not really possible. So we're, we are created an express experience where they can get more inventory at the door at a faster pace, especially for their consumers who are there with what they want in mind, yeah. the brand they get all the time, and they just want to get in and out. The problem being, you know, going to a dispensary, it's it's an hour ordeal. You're yeah. not gonna the least amount of time you can spend in a dispensary just just checking in and getting to the button alone is gonna be 20, 30 minutes. Huh. Like it's ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm a cannabis, I'm a cannabis user. I've been using cannabis most of my life. I do not need anybody to tell me other than what's the strongest strain they have here available. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> I do I don't need any expressions of know what edibles are i don't need any (laughs) explanations terpene profiles yeah i don't need that i don't need any of that dude i want sativa i want 28 to 30 percent, and i want to be out the door yeah even new new users their experience with the bud tender is still kind of a roundabout ordeal because the interesting thing about cannabis and and i and i say this often it's like it's not like a used car It's not. there's, There's no car. There's no salesmanship from the bud tender, really. Yeah. Because people can only, unlike unlike any other product, cannabis is the one product that actually determines what the what the customer is spending. Yeah. So they're not gonna spend more than they can afford. Some people do that with other products. They spend more on clothes. They spend more on on cars, on houses, more than they can afford. But cannabis is one of those things. Where people it's expensive, but it's used you you use up the the value immediately so people don't overvalue it. So they don't overspend for it. So it's not like you can sales pitch somebody up some cannabis, dude, when when buddy's only got that fifty dollars he can spend every day. Yeah. You know, so that brings us to the point where we're creating a space where those people can come into the shop interact with the brands through this store within the store experience, but also be able to ask questions to the machines if they're going to ask questions about what to purchase and and how to make them feel they have that capability, but also just get in and out of this in and out of the dispensary while having a great experience of a brand, you know, right there at their fingertips.
2: Yeah. Is part of your hope or strategic plan is that, that eventually, you know, cannabis will be available kind of more readily in, in different areas. Like, could you imagine that this is, you know, in a bar somewhere or, you know, in a in a non-dispensary, kind of structured dispensary kind of format? Correct.
3: I can. And and it's it's it'll get there eventually. And we are just, you know, wanting to get our products in the market and show traction and understand our users. And create a new, create a better experience, you know, from the information we gather. So by the time, you know, those regs get passed, whether that's a year or two years, we've already cultivated and, and culminated all this information to create an experience that's just, you know, you know, that's uh, it's, it's unbeatable. So,
2: yeah. Yeah, I'm curious on the um, on the business side. I mean, I, I'm assuming you know between the software and the hardware. I mean, this is a reasonably capital-intensive venture. I mean, what's been the capital market like for you? I mean, have you been able to raise money fairly easily? Is you know, I think a lot of people feel like there's there's just you know everyone swimming in cash and cannabis. And I find that's typically not the case. Um, <laughs> I not. Mean, what, what has been your experience in trying to raise capital and and who who you've been able to go to to help support this venture?
3: Well, I've actually bootstrapped it. Um, okay. So we we've, we've been bootstrapped. Uh, we've, we've paid for our own software, we paid for, you know, our own hardware, and it's actually really beneficial to us because now we have assets yeah. and, you know, that brings our value. Yeah. Uh, we're, we're already, you know, before even selling, we're already valued over a million dollars. So yeah. it was better for us to bootstrap, A, because this industry's not even really an industry yet. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, we have a few, there's a few players in the market. And it, it, it doesn't seem like a lot of them stick. You know, it's like they come and they go because people aren't quite figuring out certain issues. And we've been bootstrapping and we've been working and we kind of figured out some of those issues that people are running into and been able to solve those problems. So we haven't raised any capital. We've been bootstrapped. I think it would be tough to raise capital in an industry that doesn't exist. Or an industry, you could say, that's failed. Yep. So, you know, because this these machines, what we're creating is a new innovative product of what was already been out. Yeah. And the problem was about 10 years ago, 2011 or so, when these machines first started kind of being an idea of what people could purchase from, the the people in the industry were saying things that their machines couldn't do. Like, A, hey, it's fully automated. That's incorrect. <laughs> yeah. You know, there was, there was no technology to make the machine fully automated. So how could it be fully automated? I think that with that, you know, they're over, overselling and under delivering it kind of crashed the industry down and people didn't want anything to, to do with them because they couldn't get these machines to operate in a yeah. manner that they were being sold. So that kind of damaged the whole, you know, yeah. idea. And, and, you know, you got people like Cookies. I've met with Cookies before and they're like, oh, this is a bad idea. <laughs> you know, they, they invested yeah. in Grasshopper. Uh, they don't, you know, this, this is burned. terrible. Yeah, they've been they, burned
2: before.
3: Yeah, they've been burned before by it. They're like, don't pursue this idea. Just leave it alone, blah, blah, blah. But for me, it's like, you know, never tell me no. <laughs> <laughs> never tell me no and never tell me I can't do it because then I'm definitely going to get it done. And so, you know, I was like, this idea has validation. No one's just put the technology together in order for it to operate what they're selling. Yeah. And then that's what we've been able to do. We've been able to create the experience, create the customer flow, create the the user interface for the clients that's very, very user friendly. And and make a whole business model around this technology that has a lot of different revenue streams and so we've really been able to kind of take this thing over a year and a half diffuse the whole product and rebuild the whole product to to make uh, a great experience when purchasing from the product yeah and we wanted it to be true to form so if we say you don't need a human being there we actually don't want to have a human being there yeah, We don't want you getting your change from the butt tender or the bartender or the clerk or wherever it may be. We want your change to come right out of the machine. We don't want you to have to go show your ID to a butt tender or a clerk or a bartender. We want you to be able to check in at the machine. Yeah. So that's what we've done is we've diffused the product, rebuilt it, put it together, and, and, and we basically created something that's it's going to be very, very hard to, to copy.
2: Yeah, no, I'm excited. I'm excited to uh, try it sometime. I'm, I'm, as you get into stores and stuff, let me know. But uh, yeah, I think it's a fascinating, just kind of angle to the whole cannabis industry. You know that that um, you know as we mature, as the industry grows, you know these opportunities are going to become more and more apparent and, and more and more important for for entrepreneurs to take advantage of. Lamar, this has been a pleasure. If people want to find out more about you, more about Easy Vending, what's the best way to get that information?
3: EasyVending.com. Or at Easy Vending on Instagram. We also have a LinkedIn page as well. We have an inquiry tab on our Easy Vending page. And you're more than welcome to drop questions, ask about partnerships, et cetera. We're very excited. We're a team of three. We're a startup. And you know, we're we're just getting this ball rolling. And I think by the time 2022 rolls around in the spring, you'll be hearing some good things about easy vending.
2: I'm excited. I'll make sure all the links and handles and everything are in the show notes so people can get that. Lamar, this has been a pleasure. Thank you so much for taking the time today.
3: Oh, thank you, Bruce. I really appreciate it.
2: That's it for this episode of Thinking Outside the Bud. Be sure to subscribe using your favorite podcast app so you don't miss our future episodes. See you next time.
1: You've been listening to Thinking Outside the Bud with business coach Bruce Eckfeldt. To find a full list of podcast episodes, download the tools and worksheets, and access other great content, visit the website at thinkingoutsidethebud.com. And don't forget to sign up for the free newsletter at thinkingoutsidethebud.com forward slash newsletter.